Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. I hope all of you guys have had a great week so far. Coverage of the NBA Finals here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? All right, so watched Ford over the film this morning and all of the data, and I have a lot of notes on a very interesting game one of the 2023 NBA Finals. Going to get into all of that stuff today to prep you guys for game two. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, um, as I said last night, Miami played a really clean game. And that was even more apparent as I looked over the numbers. They gave up just nine points in transition attacks from Denver. To give you guys some perspective, against the Lakers, the De- uh, the Denver Nuggets averaged 23 points per game in transition. So a really clean effort from Miami sprinting back and stopping those Denver pushes. Um, they had just eight turnovers, like we mentioned, 45 to 43 on the glass, really competitive there. And by cutting all of that easy stuff out, they basically forced Denver to play in the half court. And as a result, they actually held them to a respectable 112 offensive rating, which is pretty good compared to the 122 that they had against the Lakers. That gives you an example of, that's a perfect example of what I've always talked about, about the stuff on the margins of games that wins. When we zoom in on the half court, it's a better indicator of talent because that's your static basketball situation. But there's all sorts of things that happen in basketball games that can swing outcomes that go beyond that half court static situation. And one of the best ways that Miami gives them a chance to win every single night is they tend to be really sharp in those details. That's a non-negotiable thing for the Heat the rest of the way. That has to be every night. They have to compete on the glass. They have to take care of the basketball and they have to get back in transition and force Denver to attack them in the half court. Secondly, 
One of the biggest narratives coming out of last night's game was that Miami did not shoot the ball particularly well, which is hilarious to me because Denver shot 29% from three. And I dove into those numbers a little bit further as well to give you guys some data. So when Denver was wide open from three, so at least six feet away from the defender, they were three for nine, which is 33%. They were three for 10 on open shots. That's defender four to six feet away, which is 30%. For Miami, they were five for 16 on wide open threes, which is just 31%. But they were six for 14 on open threes. That's four to six feet away. That's 43%. So if you combine every single three for both teams where the defender was at least four feet away. Denver was six for 19, which is 32%. Miami was 11 for 30, which is 37%. So when it came to knocking down relatively uncontested shots, Miami Miami actually shot better than Denver. So I don't think there's some universe in this series where we can look at that game and say shooting variance was what cost Miami. It's just simply not the case. For the record, Michael Porter Jr., who was two for 11 from three last night, seven of those were either open or wide open, and he only made one of them. So is Michael Porter Jr. going to go one for seven on open and wide open threes the rest of the series? I say probably not, because the dude's the best spot-up shooter in the league, in my opinion. So I don't see shooting variants as something that affected Miami last night. They're going to have to figure out some other way to win games in this series. Uh, Denver also has a tendency to wear teams out. We talked about this a lot last night, the fatigue element of playing against Denver and all their size and the altitude and the way that disrupts the energy transfer for shooters. That's something that can only get worse as the series progresses because Denver is a bigger team that is in better shape. So I do think that that uh, specific area of the game actually leans towards Denver as we look forward in the series. Um, I want to zoom in on Miami's defense against Denver's half-court offense to start, and then we'll go over to the other side. So in pick and roll, the uh, Nuggets generated 1.09 points per possession on 22 pick and rolls, which is excellent. What I noticed on film early in the game, you guys might remember uh, Jamal Murray's first basket when he got downhill on the right side of the floor, and I think he got into Jimmy Butler's chest and made a layup, if I remember correctly. But on that play, one of the things that Miami was doing is they were trying really hard to front the post. So one of the plays that uh, Denver runs almost every game at the beginning is essentially a cross screen for Jokic to get him coming over to the right block with, uh, with the defense or trailing him so that he can attack from the post. Well, Bam went over and fronted, and rather than trying to throw that over-the-top pass, Bam actually just, uh, uh, Jokic just walked Bam up into a ball screen with Jamal Murray, except for Bam's trapped on the top side of the screen. So how can he help in a drop coverage if he's on the other side of Jokic? Jamal Murray just went right around that screen, and there's no help, and that's how he got all the way downhill and got to the rim. Well, Bam eventually ends up adjusting by starting to disengage from those fronts and sit back into a drop coverage, and Jamal Murray, just because Jokic is so good of a screener, such a good screener, and Jamal is so good at setting up his man for screen and rolls, he was able to get a bunch of good looks and pull-up situations and drive into the basket. He had 1.38 points per possession as the pick-and-roll ball handler last night for Denver. So uh, a lot of stuff there that was successful for Denver. Uh, In the zone that Miami ran in the fourth quarter, they also ran a lot of stuff in pick-and-roll. There was one where... um, Uh, Jokic caught it on a slip and he hit Jeff Green cutting along the baseline. I actually put this clip on my Twitter feed so you can see it, but there was that double screen that I really liked where they had KCP screen the top right guy on the zone or top left guy in the zone if you're facing the basket and Jokic screen the top right guy on the zone facing the basket. And as Jamal Murray came across, right when Gabe Vincent stepped out, that was when Jokic slipped. He hit Jokic. Bam, because he was paranoid about that drop-off pass to Jeff Green, kind of hung back a little bit. That's where Jokic got to that little floater that he's going to make so consistently. 
the reality is, is as I looked at the film, I didn't really see a good option. And that's just the reality of defending the Denver Nuggets. Like I said, uh, a lot of the adjustments that we're going to talk about uh, as it pertains to the Nuggets are, are not necessarily schematic adjustments. It's just things that they need to do better, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. When they were switching, so they switched a lot of off-ball actions and they occasionally switched some pick and rolls. Denver scored 21 points on 17 post-ups, which is 1.24 points per possession. Early in the game, there was one off-ball screen where Aaron Gordon got switched onto Gabe Vincent. It was the first, uh, I think it was the second possession of the game, if I remember correctly, where uh, Murray and Gordon ran an off-ball screen. Uh, Gordon got switched on to Gabe Vincent. He did the deep seal. I think Jokic threw the entry pass and, and Aaron Gordon got a dunk. But other than that, all the other Aaron Gordon post-ups were on transition cross matches. So what does that mean? In transition defense, you're sprinting back, but you're usually guarding the guy that's closest to you rather than guarding your particular matchup. It's one of the first rules of transition defense. And so Miami did a good job of sprinting back and stopping those transition possessions, but Denver just then immediately turned around and, uh, and attacked those cross matches. There was a post-up against Max Struess, transition cross match, a post-up against Caleb Martin, transition cross match, another post-up against Gabe Vincent, same thing, transition cross match. And if you watch the footage, Aaron Gordon is sprinting the floor like crazy every time they secure the defensive rebound because that's one of the easiest ways to get switches. So two things to learn there. Push the ball on offense, great way to get switches that are beneficial to your offense. When you get back on defense, Miami in general just has to do a much better job of avoiding those cross matches, which one, that's everybody sprint back better so you can get to your original matchups. And then two, what they call scramming, which means when you see a dude in transition, when you get back and you see a dude who's picked up your man, signal to him and quickly execute a scram switch before they have an opportunity to attack out of it. Um, Nikola Jokic also had a couple of bas uh, 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 wide open three-point shots that he generated out of transition cross matches. There was one where he got uh, on Max Struess in transition. He ended up... Um, hitting Michael Porter Jr. for a three. There was another one where he got Jimmy Butler in a transition cross match. He ended up hitting Bruce Brown for a three on the weak side. That was the one where Haywood Highsmith came over and hard double teamed. So uh, Nikola Jokic, by the way, finished with 11 points on nine post-ups in this particular game, counting passes. But the bottom line is, is that Miami really can't afford to give up any size mismatches, um, at least not as easily as they were doing. So... So, and some of it's unavoidable just by virtue of the way the, the roster is broken down. But the reality is, is they're going to have to do a better job of avoiding those cross matches. So they got to do a better job of getting back in transition and then scramming out of those mismatches when they occur. Um, against the zone defense, like I said last night, I didn't have the numbers yet, but I thought the zone defense was actually Denver's most successful, or excuse me, Miami's most successful defensive strategy. Well, it did end up showing on tape. Um, Denver scored 1.12 uh, points per possession against Miami's set man-to-man -man defense, but they only scored one point per possession against Miami's set zone defense. So, um, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that so you guys can see um, where they were having specific success. But that, to me, was the big silver lining coming out of that game. Not, um, oh, Miami's just going to shoot better because I actually think Denver will shoot better in the long run. But I do think that there was some stuff there with zone where they actually bothered Denver a little bit. Now, it remains to be seen if it'll work over the course of the series. My guess is no. But if I was watching that particular game and trying to find something positive to cling to, it would be the fact that the zone defense worked pretty well. So, again, they allowed 20 points and 20 possessions. Uh, against Denver with their zone defense. At first, they didn't run it at all until the bench group came in, but the bench groups actually did pretty well. I think they scored 14 of those 20 points in the bench group. Um, but when Jokic came back in in the fourth quarter, they actually ran quite a bit of zone. 
And they had a little bit of success. They had 10 possessions in the game where they ran their 2-3 zone against the Nuggets with Jokic on the floor, and they only scored six points. Now, there were a couple of easy misses. Jokic missed like a short jumper in the lane that he's going to make 70% of the time. Jamal Murray missed like a wide-open 12-footer right in the middle of the paint. Let's say they make one of those. Um, it's eight points in 10 possessions, right? So shot variance played a little bit of a role there. But no matter what... They got a lot of stops with that particular uh, set. So I'd expect a lot more zone from Miami against uh, even Jokic groups in game two. Again, on when we look at the actual basketball of it, having Jokic at the high post as this guy who can score and pass from there so effectively, uh, Aaron Gordon working out of the short corners, which is the other most important part of his own defense, and then all three of the dudes on the perimeter being such great shooters, in theory – they're going to be able to get really good shots that way too, and I expect them to. But the man-to-man stuff in particular is slicing and dicing Miami so much that I actually think that's their best chance. And it did have some stretches where it disrupt, uh, disrupted Denver's uh, rhythm a little bit. If for no reason other than it usually took them a little while to get into their sets. And so there were a lot of late clock situations where they had to take some bad shots against Miami's zone. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Ever needed something for your home but don't have the cash or credit to pay for it? Let's chat about how to get what you need when you need it. You can do that at errands. Yep, you can rent to own appliances like washers, dryers, or refrigerators, furniture for your living room or bedroom, even tech like computers and gaming systems. Plus, errands has great brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. And you can pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But here's the cool part. Say you're renting a 65-inch smart TV and decide you don't want it anymore. At Aaron's, you can return it at any time. Or maybe you want to downsize to a 55-inch or upgrade to an 86-inch. You can do that too. Return it, then take home something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. So check out your nearest Aaron's store or visit Aaron's.com for more details. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. 
Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Uh, Miami in offense. Uh, Jimmy had some success matchup hunting. He generated some really good looks from three attacking Jamal Murray and Contavious Cobble-Pope in the post. Miami just missed all of them, but it was working. They did generate some good looks. Uh, Bam took Jokic off the bounce three times and scored twice. He had a pull-up jumper on the right side, and then he hit like a drop-step hook shot in the first half. He missed a another kind of drifting jumper in the second half, but it was like right there. He barely missed it. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Um, it's another way to kind of potentially fatigue Jokic in the long run as well. In pick and roll, I thought Miami made really good reads. Bam scored six points in the short roll. That's just that opening that's in that drop coverage is just hitting that little bounce pass to Bam in the short range where he can make that little floater. But they got downhill plenty. But with way, with the way that Denver guards, remember they bring Jokic pretty high out of that drop. They help from the weak side. It's those kick passes and the um, the uh, the when you get the defense in rotation and pick and roll and the wide open threes that you can get out of it that you have to capitalize on. And they just did not. Uh, capitalize on those possessions. As a matter of fact, Miami scored 0.69 points per spot at possession in this game compared to 1.06 for Denver. And what's crazy is Miami shot better. Denver shot 29.6% from three in this game. Miami, like I said earlier, 37% on open and wide open threes, but it's a couple of different things. Miami made five pull-up threes. So as poorly as they shot in spot-up situations, they were dead on in these tough contested pull-up threes. So like that kind of balances out like maybe next game you hit more of your spot up threes but the chances of you hitting five more pull-up threes are pretty low right um and then it's about attacking closeout so one of the big reasons why Denver uh scored 1.06 points per possession in spot-up situations is there were pivotal possessions where guys attacked closeouts which counts as a spot-up possession you guys might remember a late possession against the zone where Contavious Caldwell Pope uh, caught the ball in the right wing, hit a hard jab step, one dribble towards the foul line, and knocked down like a, a pretty a pretty easy little shot there in the mid-range. There was a play where uh, Nikola Jokic pump-faked on Cody Zeller, got downhill. Cody Zeller grabbed his right arm, and he threw up that like left-handed hook. He got to the foul line. Those are other ways to convert spot-up possessions. And so despite not shooting particularly well, Denver did tie off possessions where they generated openings with good spot-up play, and Miami did not. So that's another thing that they're going to have to tighten up. Uh, Miami's just going to have to shoot better. But like we talked about, the reality of shooting better against Denver is it's just difficult. I said the same thing after the Lakers game one. And as it turned out, especially at the end of games, they just didn't have the legs after battling with Denver and all these physical confrontations to rise up and knock down the shots. Um, So uh, adjustments for both teams. For Denver, look, they played really well. They could shoot a little bit better. Um, I thought Nikola Jokic was capable of another level of offensive aggression that he didn't really show until the fourth quarter, but there's not really a whole lot they can do that much better. I thought they played a good game. For Miami, it's avoid transition cross matches, like we talked about earlier, more zone defense, and then I try Kevin Love just because of the switchable versatility against their post-up attack, right? So like, uh, just by having three dudes on the floor that can hold up in a post-up, guys like Jimmy Butler, Kevin Love, and Bam Adebayo, it just gives you a little bit more flexibility in terms of avoiding those switches. And then when somebody gets in those switches, there's an easier, closer defender to scram out of um, so that you have a better chance of holding up there. So again, with Miami, it's not really a ton of schematic stuff. It's really they just got to do a better job of avoiding those transition cross matches. And then I would lean more into that zone. All right, guys, that's all I have for tonight. We will be back after game two on Sunday night, live on AMP after the final buzzer. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I will see you then.
the volume. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.